New year, new you. Well, hopefully. The reality is, for most of us, not much has changed since this time last week when it was 2020, except for a new page on the calendar. For a lot of us, we're carrying into the new year the same stubborn old habits, the same old struggles, and the same old sins that we wrestled with last year. But what if the Bible gave us a regular discipline we could practice to remind ourselves that as followers of Jesus, our God is not our bellies, or our food, or our TV, or our screens. Fasting, the practice of voluntarily abstaining from food or certain activities for a period of time, has been practiced by Christians for thousands of years. In fasting, a believer abstains from food in order to be available for prayer and communion with God. Fasting isn't easy, but it's designed to separate us from our perceived life support so we can focus exclusively on God, our true source of life. But sadly, many Christians have never fasted. Just mentioning the practice is enough to cause some people to absolutely panic. Why would anyone want to fast, much less for longer than a day? What does the Bible say about fasting? Do you have to fast? Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast and our first episode in the year of our Lord, 2021. Kind of feels weird to say, doesn't it, Gabe? It does, yeah. It's uh, 2020 is behind us, and it was like we wake up a couple of days later, and we're like, oh, is this any harbinger of what the <laughs> next year is going to look like? Yeah, we're like, are we sure to get the dates wrong? It maybe still yeah. is 2020. Yeah, maybe, maybe the Mayan calendar is still 2020. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, you just yeah. Go, back, go back to sleep and wake up and hope that it's just a dream or something. But I think you actually said it a few episodes ago. Everybody's banking on all the problems of the world to end in 2020, but the reality is the sinfulness of humanity is still around. So <laughs> the yeah. only thing different is there's a new page in the calendar and. We're still here. No, I think we could bank on the fact that the problems of humanity are going to grow worse and worse until our Redeemer returns. Yeah. Straightens us all out. Um, yeah. Well, did you have a good New Year? I mean, do you guys yeah. do anything special? Did you celebrate it any certain way? Um, I, I think I had a really bad migraine that day. So I went to bed at like 8 o'clock and I just fell asleep to the sound of of, uh, of fireworks in my neighborhood. They, mm. sound, they sounded like desperate sighs of optimism shooting mm. off in my neighborhood. Mm. You could you could be the, the poet Lorette of Alabama. That might yeah. be the most poetic thing any Alabama has ever said to me. Yeah, yeah. The desperate sighs of optimism. Yeah, what about you, though? Yeah. Um, Arch was about the same, man. We basically... Here's the thing. When you have three young kids and you try to stay up until midnight, mm-hmm. um, you might try to sleep in the next day, but they don't. So it doesn't even make it worth it. So we played board games with our kids and listened to music and had pizza that night and put the kids to bed at seven. And then Jenny and I were in bed by like 10 and it was a wonderful New Year's. So Mm. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I have no special desire in this season of life to stay up till midnight. Maybe that'll come back once my kids get older, but right now, not so much. Yeah, I know. I think that the nostalgia or maybe the is it superstition of of life like it's kind of just that could be it yeah i don't know it's kind of just worn off on me maybe i'm just lazy but yeah i i, I don't know it's yeah. um it's interesting times we live in for sure and it's uh yeah i was you know it, part of me was thinking okay 2020 is behind us maybe you know this is a new year this is a fresh season and um things are going to be different things are going to be um but I, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged that, like I see, I tell people, you know, things that go on the news that seem discouraging for believers should be the opposite. And, you know, our Savior says, hold your high, hold your head high for your redemption draws near. Anytime you see calamity in the news, we should expect um, that we're one step closer to his return. So we should be, we should be encouraged. Yeah, it's saddening to see injustices around the world, but we know that those are the birth pains of Messiah too at the same time. Yeah. I think that's a really good perspective to have. And, you know, at the time of us recording this podcast, we're recording this podcast 
two days after uh, Senate and House of Representatives gathered to confirm the Electoral College votes and then um, the debacle that happened at the Capitol where people stormed the Capitol. Some might say it was a a very lively protest that escalated into violence. Some people are calling it an insurrection. Some people are saying it's a coup. Whatever it was, it was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm off social media, so I don't know what the responses are for believers. But I hope that our response as believers um, is not first to finger point and blame and, you know, try to rally us all into one monolith and say the Christian response must be this. Um, I'm careful how I say that because I do think there is a biblical response to this and that's part of what we're going to talk about this episode. But in terms of the nuances of how we respond politically, I'm afraid that we're going to be, um, I'm afraid that we're going to do what the Bible tells us not to do. I want to read second Corinthians 10, three and four. It says, for though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. So my fear is that there's going to be a lot of believers that look at everything going on with that, and they're going to wage war according to the flesh. Because that's the, that's the, like, the surrounding dominant voice in the culture to say wage war according to the flesh. But what the Bible says in the next verse, it says the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, um, our weapons, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and clear presumptions set up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So my fear is that we're not gonna we're not gonna follow the scripture. We're just gonna become even more worldly in the face of everything going on. And I pray and I hope and I with everything in me that that <laughs> like something's gonna humble us as believers and get us to our knees. Like I don't know if that's where you're at as a pastor right now. I just, I, I'm looking at everything going on. I'm like, what is it going to take to humble us, man? What's it going to take to make us hit our knees? What's it going to take to make us seek the Lord? You know? Yeah. yeah it's going to, it's going to take a shakening and destruction of, of our idols. And I think if, if Donald Trump being president is an idol to you, um, and that expect the shakening and the destroying of that idol, I don't, you know, I, I think, I think more than anything, I'm, I'm looking at the long term fallout and discouragement of believers over this. I've had numerous people come to me or send me videos of prophets saying that he will have a second term. And I, I don't know, maybe he will. But if he doesn't, how do how do we navigate? How do we pick up and move yeah. on? Because your faith is has had holes shot through all, all throughout because you've had people um, tell you this is going to happen and it doesn't happen. And, then, and it's like, how do we pick up those pieces? How do we how do we encourage other people who are in the midst of that fallout, and to say, you know what, hey, this this person said this, and they claim to be speaking on behalf of the Creator, but they weren't, and that's okay. We 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 can trust that He has a sovereign plan in this. Mm-hmm. And I just I really want to caution people um, <clears throat> before you inject an opinion onto social media onto YouTube or before you even echo other people's opinions and statements, emphatic truth claims about the election process or whatever. Yeah. Um, just pray about it. I mean, pray whether or not your opinion really should even be expressed. Sure. Um, and just instead just pray for his will to be done. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's something I always pray and it never goes wrong because his will is perfect and it's better than mine. He's smarter than me. Absolutely. Yeah, and so that that kind of leads us into our topic today, and our topping, I think, appropriately, and we we planned this topic before we even you know saw all those things that went down, is fasting, and prayer, and uh, this whole idea of entering into a new year, um, not just with New Year's resolutions, which those aren't bad things, um, those are good things, but but really entering into the new year intentionally through encouraging people to revisit this discipline of, of fasting and prayer and make that an integral part of our lives. So, uh, do you, do you have any new year's resolutions in 2021? Is that something you do? Is that something you've got? Or is it just sort of vague? Like I hope to, to not be a jerk this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I haven't really looked at it that way. I, I, I'm not a very big new year's resolution person. I, you know, I, I go through seasons of like, especially with running or something like that. I love to run. Oh yeah. yeah. But there's times where like I, I kind of, I've kind of slack a little bit, you know, but I don't, 
I haven't, I haven't this year said this year I'm going to be better at this, but I think that's a good thing to do. I don't think that's bad. I just, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you, do you fast regularly? Cause if you I, don't, maybe you're not the guy to be doing this podcast. So I don't, I don't fast. <laughs> yeah. I don't fast as much as I think I should fast. And uh, that's a fair statement. Same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't fast enough to, I think say, um, that I'm, I'm good at it. Um, yeah. Same here. There are times where I find myself in fasting um, that are not necessarily a conscious decision to fast, but hmm. rather it's fasting done out of um, anguish or grief or, um, hmm. or you know, you know what I'm saying. And, and I find, sure. myself, yeah, 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 yeah. I find yeah. myself with a lack of physical appetite, but a an abundance of um, desperation for God to move in a situation. Yeah. And I don't think of it sometimes. So I, there are times obviously where I go in and I'm saying, I'm going to fast this Tuesday and I want other people right. to fast with me or I'm going to do it by myself. But then there was times where I just like, I can't, I fast sleep <laughs> or I fast. Right, 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 right. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah. 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 Well, I think if either one of us hopped on the podcast and we were like, Hey, we both are fasting experts then anybody listening would just need to turn this off because <laughs> obviously we're not humility experts if we're, we're bragging about it. So I think a good, um, a good litmus test to see, do you understand the point of fasting mm -hmm. is that you're going, man, I could always fast more. I still have so much to learn and so far to go in learning how to fast and learning what it's about. And I think we should always be thinking, man, we could be doing it more. Um, well, I think, I think that's the essence of fasting is that it, it's something yeah. that's, it's difficult and you don't, mm -hmm. en you don't enjoy per se, but you know that it's, it's something that is required as, as, as disciples, it's something that's required of us within our faith. It's a spiritual discipline that is, is required of us that we should be doing. Yeah. So when was the first time that you fasted? <clears throat> like intentionally said, I'm going to, I'm going to do a fast. Do you remember? Mm, I don't remember. Um, I remember when my dad was, um, facing a diagnosis with diagnosis with ALS it's been about five years. And I, I fasted, you know, before that, obviously, but um, this one that really stuck out in my mind that I can kind of bring to the table, I think, is, um, you know, I fasted. I, I think it was three days. You know, just praying for healing and praying for um, some kind of intervention. I didn't even know what it looked like, mm. but I knew that if he was indeed getting a diagnosis of ALS, that was certain death if it were not for divine intervention. And uh, yeah, I fasted those three days. But you know what? When I fasted. When I fasted and, and we came out on the other side of that, um, it, it was almost weird. It almost gave me a piece about it all. Yeah. Even though my dad did pass, you know, 16 months later, whatever it was, I, I knew that I had beseeched my creator with everything physically I, I knew to do. Hmm. And I knew that at that point, okay, I have a piece because this is his will. And yeah, I will miss my dad. And... I wish this wasn't happening to him, but I live in a fallen world. Hmm. And now it's a matter of getting up, um, pushing forward with this and figuring out how I can then honor my mom and my dad through the midst of this trial that they're facing. That's interesting. So would you say that you may not have necessarily gotten the outcome of the fast that you were expecting, but it was still an outcome that you mm -hmm. really needed? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I don't think I would have gotten there were it not for that that period of fasting that I went through. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think about my first fast, and it's funny. I, I've told people for a long time it was the first time I fasted together with our church, but that's not true. I remember <laughs> this is so bad. Uh, I went to a Christian school in high school, and we would have spiritual emphasis week. And I remember the Wednesday of spiritual emphasis week, my senior year, my Bible teacher, Mister Bateman. Um, encouraged us in his senior Bible class. He said, um, I would love to ask you guys to fast on Wednesday. And uh, I had never done that before in my whole life. <laughs> Been in church my whole life. You know, I had even said at 10 years old, God's called me to be a pastor, yada, yada, yada. Never done it. Um, and so I can remember that Wednesday getting up, not having breakfast. <clears throat> and that was really weird because I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm starting to get hungry. You know, it's like nine o'clock. My stomach's growling on my classes. And then instead of having lunch, going in Mr. Bateman's classroom and praying for like that lunch break or whatever, and just being like, this is so weird. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can survive, you know? Mm -hmm. And then by that afternoon, I remember all I could do was think about food. I was just thinking about food 
every, I mean, driving home from school, I'm like passing a Wendy's. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could just slaughter a, you know, big bacon classic from Wendy's. Right. I mean, every, like all I can think of was food. And then finally that night we had a family dinner at my grandmother's that night and she did fajitas, which is something she never cooked, but she was such an amazing cook and it didn't really matter what it is she cooked. I think I had four plates full of fajitas that night. So nice. <laughs> Whatever caloric deficit I had earlier in the day, I made up four times 10 that night. Um, So that was a, and then I never fasted again for like almost 10 years, (laughs) which is terrible to say. But I mean, my first go at it was a pretty epic fail, I think. Because even though I was fasting food, all I could think about was food. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All I could think about was the one thing that I wasn't doing. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of the most un-American things we can do is deprive ourselves of food. Yeah. Or deprive ourselves of anything. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which is really interesting. The apostle Paul wrote in Philippians three about the pagans in Philippi. He called them the enemies of the cross of Christ. He said, uh, they're in this destruction. Their God is their belly, which is a really interesting phrase. He says, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And so he kind of paints this picture of the church being exceptionally countercultural from the forces of the world in the sense of our God is not our bellies. Our God is not our desires. Our God is not these urges that we get to give in to hey, I want to eat this, I'm going to eat it. Or, hey, I want to drink this, I'm going to drink this. Or, hey, I want to smoke this, I'm going to smoke this. Or, hey, I want to have sex with that person, so I'm going to have sex with this. That's what the world preaches at us all the time. Mm -hmm. Don't deprive yourself of these things. If you do, that's called repressing your desires, and that's dangerous and unhealthy and not being authentic to yourselves. Um, The kingdom says, if you want to live, (laughs) you've got to lay down your life. Mm -hmm. And if you want to, like, hold on to these things, then you're going to lose your life. Right. Yeah, I think um, when we look at the 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 concept of fasting too, what we're doing is putting ourselves um, in almost like a in, a in an odd way back into the garden. Because if you look at the how sin entered the world, it seems evident that we have a problem with controlling what we eat. Mm-hmm. And that's how sin entered the world is through eating something we were commanded not to eat. So by fasting, we're saying, you know what, I I'm. I'm almost in a small way undoing the sin of, of Adam and Eve. I'm controlling my urge to put something, you know, into put something in my yeah. belly, and and it's yeah. it's interesting. I don't, I haven't really fleshed it out and and thought it through all the way, but it's huh. it's interesting, interesting because it's almost like a a juxtaposition of what happened in the garden, how that temptation, hmm. how sin entered the world through just that yeah. that desire to eat something. Yeah, and and I think temptation comes at us from the form of physical pleasure. And, you know, when, when Paul wrote that the, the God of the pagans is really their belly, that's kind of an interesting thing because um, the gods of paganism were, <clears throat> for these people, real tangible things. They worshipped Bacchus or Dionysus, but Bacchus or Dionysus really was the god of wine. So what they were really worshipping wasn't the god of wine. What they were really worshipping was wine. And they weren't really worshiping wine. What they're really worshiping is that physical urge to get drunk, mm. right? Mm. When they went to a temple of Aphrodite and they were, you know, engaging in cult prostitution and all these debaucherous sexual acts as a form of worship to Aphrodite, they weren't really worshiping Aphrodite. They were really worshiping that physical urge yeah. to give in to these sexual desires. And so um, we really haven't changed a lot 2,000 years later that it's the same thing. We're, we're being preached constantly to indulge these physical pleasures, to worship, to give in to the desires of the flesh. And um, crazy part is Paul says the pagans glory in their shame. <laughs> so the things that we should be ashamed of in a pagan culture, we're actually normalizing and celebrating and taking great mm-hmm. pride in. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that, thing that happens like and i just think of you know we can obviously talk about that in terms of sexual deviance but i mean let's just talk about gluttony for a second right like it seems like um if we were to take somebody that grew up in the great depression 
to the Las Vegas Strip and show them these like, you know, all you can eat seafood buffets where people are literally loading up plate after plate after plate after plate. Or we just take someone from Africa, right, that, that lives on less than a dollar a day and maybe eats one meal a day because that's all they can afford. And we took them to like a Golden Corral in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and we were like, hey, look. Like, I really think we should probably be ashamed of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, And there's literally people who are dying to eat there. Mm-hmm. In the sense of 46% of Americans are obese. Mm-hmm. Obesity is the number one killer in America right now. And it's simply because we can't stop eating. And we should really be ashamed of that. But instead, what do we do is we make jokes about it. We glory in our shame. We don't take it serious even in the church. We, we you know, oh, <laughs> you know, I probably should not be eating this, but here I go, right? And it's like... Not to say that we should just go on fat shaming everybody. Like I, <laughs> we should. <laughs> what if that was your strategy to get people to take fasting serious? You just just got them on the pulpit and <laughs> just smacking donuts out of people's hands. <laughs> you know, you don't need that, Chevy. You're glorying in your shame. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's terrible. If you're listening to this and um, you enjoy a good donut, that's not what we're trying to do. Does that make sense? I hope I'm not being mm-hmm. too mean or stepping on any toes. But like, does it seem like we just sort of any other culture on the face of the earth, any other generation would look at the excesses we have in the terms of food and, and our consumption of it and probably look at that and go like, man, you guys should probably not do that. And instead we just kind of celebrate it and make jokes about it and pursue it even more. That might be, you know, we talked a couple of episodes about the tethering of our faith to the American commercialism, Western commercialism. And that's probably part of that too, is that we revel in the fact that we have, I can go and, and, and hit up the dollar menu at McDonald's, you know, and we have so much food at our fingertips. We have land of abundance and mm-hmm. cheap, cheap and readily accessible food. Um, and we kind of revel in that. We, we take pride in that. We say, you know, we built this great nation and we have so many luxuries and, and privileges. And, and I think that's, that's the, the commercialism mindset. And then obviously these businesses and these restaurants pick up on that and try to encourage yeah. Um, that kind of behavior and that revelry, I guess you could you could call it. But yeah. Sure. Yeah, but it's it's not just food. I mean, obviously sex. I mean, we are probably the most sexualized culture on on uh the face of the earth, I would say. I would say Europe is probably 10, 15 years ahead of us in terms of just debauchery, but mm-hmm. I would say we've we've probably still cornered the market on just you know, everything is sexually charged, our advertising, our television shows, our music, or you know, even sporting events, man. I watch football games with my son and it cuts to the cheerleaders and I'm like trying to hide his eyes. You know I mean? It just seems like we've worshiped at the altar of sex and sexuality for so long. Um, it's interesting. There is, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we talk, like you're reading Philippians, how they worship their bellies and they did things in a, in a sexual devious way in a form of worship. It's like, we are, we're doing the same exact things. Those things that just yeah. didn't just go away. We just repackage them, and um, and we're doing the same. So, so when we fast, like you said, we're becoming counterculture of those things and that environment, and and saying, you know what, I'm going to control this animalistic urge within me, and I'm going to deprive myself of something that brings me pleasure. But mm-hmm. I guess the the bigger question, and what we're kind of unpackaging in this episode, is why? You know, yeah, why do yeah, we do yeah. that? Well, I think a good answer was because Jesus. <laughs> that's a VBS answer, right? Uh, but I mean, we're truly like it, Jesus says, Hey, come follow me, right? Deny yourself. Well, what is fasting? It's denying yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. <clears throat> you look in the gospels. We see that Jesus practiced fasting. You know, Matthew chapter four tells us at the beginning of his ministry, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Um, we can assume that's probably not the only time he did fast, but we see, I mean, that was a pretty intense fast right a 40-day fast of it's not a partial fast or a daniel fast it is it was like literally he goes without food for 40 days and 40 nights that's a big deal um but then you see him telling his disciples um when this is a really interesting story they couldn't cast a demon out in mark chapter 9 you remember this yeah and they fail at it and they come to jesus and they're like jesus why did we fail and he said this kind cannot come out except through prayer and fasting Mm. 
And so it's almost as if he prescribed fasting as a form of spiritual breakthrough to his disciples, that there are certain challenges spiritually that we're going to come up against that we're not going to be able to face until we're completely emptied of our own self-reliance and we're dependent on him completely for it. It can't come out except through prayer and fasting. Um, mm-hmm. And then Mark 2, he prophesied that his disciples would fast when he was away. Remember this, the fair, or, uh, John the baptizer's disciples say, why don't uh, your disciples fast like us? And Jesus says, well, I mean, they're with the bridegroom right now. When the bridegroom goes away, they will fast, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we're his disciples now. The bridegroom is away. So what are we supposed to be doing? According to Jesus, we're supposed to be fasting. And then in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, he doesn't assume that we're, uh, it, it's not an if you pray. He says, when you pray, do it like this, right? When you give, not if you give, but when you give, do it like this. And then he says, when you fast, not if you fast, do it like this. So it seems pretty clear if you just focus on the Gospels that Jesus assumes and directs and even prophesies that his disciples, we as the church, is his body, the ones that follow him, we are going to fast, right? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Didache. Uh, (laughs) Didache is 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 an ancient, um, some would say a Jewish Christian text. Um, but in, in, D, in the decade of chapter eight, verse one, it's interesting. It says, don't let your fasting co- coincide with those of the hypocrites. They fast on the second and the fifth days of the week. You should fast on the fourth and the uh, sixth day of the week. So mm. it's interesting that if the DDK, you know, holds water, historically speaking, the or some of the earliest followers of Jesus uh, made it a practice to fast twice a week, even. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. And didn't Jesus, didn't he talk about the Pharisees fasting twice a week? Yes. Yeah. So if so, we've talked about this before. Jesus was technically, he would have been a Pharisee, right? Mm-hmm. Not that everything yeah. the Pharisees did, Jesus condoned, because obviously that was one of his biggest enemies in the gospel. But in terms of the branches of Judaism, Jesus mm-hmm. would have probably aligned with that. So if Jesus would have worshipped that way, aligned that way, he probably would have also fasted twice a week, I would think. Yeah, definitely the Apostle Paul. I mean, he, yeah. he self-identifies as a Pharisee, and he would have been very accustomed to fasting as well. Yeah. Well, um, here's a question somebody listening to this might have. Okay, you guys are talking about fasting. What is it? <laughs> what What would you say fasting is? What What would just a basic definition? If your six-year-old says, Daddy, what is fasting? What would you, what would you tell him? Just not eating? I think you're still muted, by the way. I think I think it kind of goes beyond that. I think fasting is the um, the voluntary uh, withholding of any kind of, I mean, any source of pleasure, and that could be food. Is that seems to be the most common form of fasting, and then um, uh, you know it could be any other pleasures like um, sexual activity. It could be uh, it could be. Um, entertainment in our day and age, it'd be like TV or social media or what have you, but sugar, you know, meat, um, like Daniel did in the book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. So basically going without something, abstaining from something, Mm -hmm. but why? (laughs) Like why, why would one want to do that? Does Christians just need to be skinny all the time? We got Jenny Craig for Jesus going on. Well, I think, I think a lot of people unfortunately look at fasting as a tool to manipulate God. Um, that, you know, we're going to, we're going to be like the squeaky wheel that gets the grease kind of situation. And I don't think that fasting should not be looked at as a mechanism of manipulation, but rather it's a display of desperation. I love that. Like fast. Say that again. It's not a mechanism of manipulation. Yeah. Fasting should not be used as a mechanism of manipulation, but it should be an outward display of our desperation. I love that. That's great. In other words, um, what you're saying, I think what you're saying through fasting is like, I want your will and your intervention more than I want food. Hmm. Does that make sense? I think I think uh, that's yeah, how we, we should we should approach it, and not like, oh, I'm going to fast to really get on God's nerves and be a, a thorn in His side, and then He'll right. He'll do what I want Him to do. I think that's that's a very very selfish and unbiblical way of looking at fasting. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's a really good point to bring up because I think sometimes it is taught that, you know, mm-hmm. it is taught that it's a form of getting what it is you want. Um, you know, I think the way that I, I've I've taught it before and the way that I've, I've kind of um, thought through it, it's been helpful for me is what we so often assume to be our life support is food, right? I, food's the thing that sustains me. Food's the thing that keeps me going. I have to have food. And that's true to a certain extent. But Jesus responded to Satan during his fast when Satan was like, hey, if you're the son of God, turn these rocks into pieces of bread. He said, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So as far as I understand what Jesus was saying in that is, Satan, it is not food that sustains me. It is God that sustains me. And what fasting does in our lives is it it kind of, reminds our being because we're all interconnected body soul spirit it reminds our full being when we deprive our bodies of food that it is not cheeseburgers that sustain me Mm -hmm. it's it's god god's the one that sustains me god's the one that keeps me going god is my life support not not food that makes sense sure sure when i think if you look at it from kind of the ancient israeli perspective and imagination so, so to speak um, you look at all these holy days that are listed in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16, and it's all like, I want you to come up to my house and I want you to gather and I want you to feast and to celebrate, especially the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. It's like, I want you to to live on and celebrate the the bountiful supply that my land has given you, the bountiful food and um, and and just just party, just feast, just eat and, and kind of mm-hmm. just lavish yourself in my presence. And so I think if we look at the kind of the, the essence of like biblical symmetry that's happening here, when you fast, what you're saying is, I, I'm, I'm feeling removed from your presence. I'm feeling the opposite of those times when we would go to your house and we would celebrate and I would live off of the, the, the milk and the honey, so to speak. When you're fasting, you're saying, I, I feel estranged from your will. I feel estranged from your presence. I feel estranged from your house and and it's kind of like this realignment of that biblical symmetry. And you're saying, I want there to be, I want to be close to you again. You know, I long for your courts, like, um, like the, like the deer that pants for the, the water brook, right? I, I long to be in your presence again, because that's where I'm safe. That's where I can see you moving on our behalf as a, as a people. Isn't that interesting though? I like what you said. There's a biblical cemetery, not cemetery. (laughs) Maybe there is biblical cemeteries. There's a biblical symmetry between Mm -hmm. fasting and feasting. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost seems like in our lives as Christians, we so often lean towards the feasting, but not the fasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's a, there's another thread that runs throughout scripture and that's a, a concept of equal weights and measures. Mm. And there are times of feasting when we are um, in accordance with his will when we have um, when we have been obedient. And we see that in, in Scripture and the people of Israel. It's like when there's times of obedience, there's times of plenty. When mm. there's times of disobedience and being outside of his will, there's times of famine. Um, mm. And so, so in essence, like the famine is this, this cattle prod to force us back into obedience. And that, that's yeah. how it was with, when God interacted with Israel. And it, it's like when we fast, we are self-inducing famine upon ourselves as a way of saying, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm wanting to, to um, humble myself. I'm wanting to afflict myself to self-induce a time of famine so mm. that I can be better aligned with your word and your will in my life. That's, that's really, really good. And, and I think the hard part is it, uh, about it. Um, and that's so countercultural, right? Because we have, mm-hmm. we live in a land as Americans of abundance and plenty everywhere we go, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't lack for anything in terms of that. So it's almost like we we need to introduce to ourselves, like you said, this self-inflicted reminder that apart from God, we actually have nothing. Mm-hmm. That we're spiritually impoverished if it's not for the Lord. Um, well, if you look at people fasting in the Bible, I think you can kind of see this pattern. People fasted in times of war. So in the book of Judges, Judges 20, 26, between that war between Israel and the Benjamites. I mean, gosh, is there ever a passage that speaks more to kind of the season we're in as Americans? 
I mean, this is heartbreaking, right? They're going to war with a, a member of their own tribe in the land of Israel in the Judges chapter 20. And so there's a fast that's called for. Like this is a weighty, heartbreaking time in our nation, in the history of our nation. Let's fast. <laughs> Let's seek the Lord, right? Um, people fasted in times of repentance. You see this in the book of Daniel. You see this in the book of Jonah. This is what the people of Nineveh did in response to the word of the Lord. Uh you see when people would face danger, they would be facing something that they needed God's intervention and they fasted. You see this in Ezra 8. Um, people fasted for wisdom from God and courage that they needed. You see this in the book of Esther. The people fasted in times of grief and in times of distress. That's in First and Second Samuel, First Chronicles. Um, people fasted to deny the flesh kind of what we've been talking about. We see that through the example of Jesus in Matthew 4, before he began ministry. Um, people fasted for spiritual power. This is what Jesus said, Mark 9, 29. This kind cannot come out except through prayer and fasting. Um, people fasted for wisdom. You see this in Acts 14 in the early church. They were fasting a lot in the early church, weren't they? Yeah, it seemed like it. Well, I think they, they lived in more desperate times, which is which is also interesting to me that you, you would um, deprive yourself further of food when... Um, food is less readily accessible like it is now. Yeah. Well, that whole mm-hmm. fasting for the purpose of wisdom, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a prayer that's never gone unanswered in my life, is a prayer for wisdom. Yeah. Well, that kind of goes along with what James writes. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask it and mm-hmm. God will give it to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's probably what a, our church, and I'm not talking just my church, I think our church in America needs right now where anything is just wisdom. Like, God, how do we navigate in the, the year ahead? Mm-hmm. What's your perspective on these things? Not We, we don't just want to do our thing and say, okay, God, bless what we want to do. What What is it that you want mm-hmm. for us and how should we move forward with it? So, yeah, I think that's really important. Um, this is an interesting one. <laughs> First Corinthians 7, 5. This is not a popular verse with husbands for whatever reason. It talks about how married couples are not to deprive one another from sexual relations except for a period of fasting. <laughs> hmm. um, that's a pretty interesting one. I don't I don't know uh, too many husbands that are happy about that one, right? Yeah. Um, but it's supposed to be just short term because he says, and then come back together so the devil won't tempt you. <laughs> but setting aside your sexual desires, even within the marriage, it's not bad to have sexual desire for your spouse, but there sometimes are seasons where, you know, you can go without and you need to go without. Hmm. Um, answered prayer. So this is interesting. Acts 10. It's a fast out of gratitude. Hmm. They're grateful, so they fast. <clears throat> um, a time of mourning in Daniel 10. He's so grieved that he doesn't eat um he doesn't eat because he's just so heartbroken. Um, and then we see a very interesting passage in uh, Exodus 34, probably the most famous passage to the Jewish people. Moses receives the law from God, and for 40 days he does not eat anything while he's receiving the law from God. Hmm. What's what's that about? Like, why Why would God say, hey, Moses, while you're receiving this law from me, don't eat anything for 40 days? Hmm. I don't know. That's, that's, yeah, I don't, you know, it's a time of like consecration. I know that he's, he's serving as like a mediator of, of essentially what is a wedding ceremony between God and his people, Israel. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's probably something really deep there. Maybe some of our listeners can, can unpackage and, and learn from, but yeah, it's, that's interesting. Yeah. Do you think it's one of these things that, and I don't know, I'm just taking a stab at this. Maybe I'm inventing the, the newest, latest, greatest heresy. So maybe can somebody can email me about this. But do you think it's like speaking to this reality of when we fast, we receive from God more of a revelation of his character and his will for us through his word as we're cutting out all the other distractions? Hmm. Well, I, I will say that whenever I do fast, I always find it um, kind of amusing how much extra time I have um, you know, just how much time in my day I spend eating is, is pretty astonishing. So, um, you definitely will free up time and you can spend that time in prayer or in isolation. I, you know, God's voice is such a thin whisper, um, that, yeah, I think, I think eliminating all the distractions we can, if we need some sort of 
breakthrough in direction or clarity on an issue or wisdom, I think one of the best things you can do is is find prolonged periods of silence. Hmm. Um, and, and that might include fasting as well, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's good. Yeah. I agree with that completely. Um, first Kings 19 talks about Elijah sees this amazing victory on Mount Carmel over the prophets of Baal. Is it Mount Carmel or Mount Caramel? Cause it could be Mount Caramel. Mm, it's Mount. Now <laughs> <laughs> you it's, get the joke. <laughs> you were thinking it really, you were like, he's getting into the Hebrew. Wow, man. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's Mount Twix bar. Mount Twix bar. Yes. So he has this amazing victory at the, the Mount chocolate. And then, um, he runs for his life through the wilderness and doesn't eat. And then he basically says to God, I just think I want to die. And it's almost like what you were saying earlier. Like sometimes we just have these seasons of we just don't want to eat because we're so spiritually deprived and just need spiritual recuperation. And then I love what you see in the story. God provides for him miraculously this like kind of angelic food that sustains him for his journey that he keeps going from the strength of that food. Almost this picture of we can kind of burn out on our own. Mm hmm. And then God shows up and sustains us in a fast. So we just need that spiritual replenishment and rejuvenation through that. Um, so you see a regular fast in the Bible. There's kind of multiple ways of fasting. Regular fast in the Bible is abstaining from all food and drink besides water. That is most of what fasting was like in the Old Testament and the Jewish people. They would still drink water. They just wouldn't eat food. Um, and then you see, you mentioned the Daniel fast earlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Daniel and the um, other Babylonian children abstained from certain kinds of foods. So they didn't eat meat. They didn't drink wine. They just ate vegetables and, and things like that. And I think that that's how a lot of long, uh, long-term fasting that people do in church. We're, we're about to start um, a 40-day fast in my church on Monday. And so it's a partial fast for those 40 days. Um, and so for a lot of folks, that's a that's a pretty familiar thing. And then there's this, uh, this type of fasting you see in the Bible that is actually not kind of prescribed. It's more described and it's an absolute fast. So they don't eat any food and they don't drink any water. And it was more of a time of just like anguish and sorrow. And they were so heavy hearted. They, they couldn't. Right. Yeah. But again, that's not something I think the Bible tells us you need to do. That's more describing what people did. Yeah, that's interesting that Paul Paul experienced that in um, in the Book of Acts, how he had this you know huge epiphany moment, and it spent I guess was it three days he was fasting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the other time, uh, you know, in in the Jewish faith is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, mm. It's the tenth day of the seventh month on the biblical calendar, and it's it's a day of complete fast. It's an absolute fast of. Oh, it is. I didn't know that. And, yeah, food and water. Food um, and water. Okay. So it, you know, during temple times, the high priest would be operating in the holy of holies the one time a year he could. Meanwhile, you know, you'd have tens of thousands of people gathered outside the temple, waiting for him to emerge um, alive. You know, and they would all be fasting, and he would come out and he would utter the the holy name of God. Um, and they would all fall on their faces, prostrate, and they would they would say these words. They would say, um, "Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto Leolam Vayed." Then you picture tens of thousands of people saying that out loud as they've been fasting, complete fast for twenty four hours, and that means, um, uh, "Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever." Wow! So the whole complete, absolute fast—no food, no water—for twenty four hours is almost a a way of saying unless God atones for the sins of Israel, mm -hmm. we've got no shot. We've got no hope. Yeah, it was exactly. that, it was that kind of desperation that was being communicated through that. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, man, that's pretty cool. Well, I think we've talked about like why food and why God would want us to abstain from food. And I think we've kind of addressed the reality that for a lot of us, food is something that controls us. It controls our schedules. It controls our thoughts. Sometimes it controls what it is that, you know, we, we want. And, and a lot of times for some of us, like 
we're not able to say no to certain kinds of food and certain quantities of food because it seems like it's just a food issue, but actually deep down, it's not really a food issue. It's a spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. Because Galatians 2 says that, or Galatians 5 says that one of the things the Holy Spirit gives us is self-control. So if we can't say no to food, then there's a spiritual issue down there somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good point that we're we're not firing on all cylinders in terms of the fruit of the spirit. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the thing that, um, again, is a is a very unpopular doctrine within the church, right? Because um, I don't know, I want to be like nice about this, but did you see a tremendous amount of obesity and eating and gluttony growing up in church? I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Because right. I did. I mean, we made jokes about it, right? We do potlucks, and yeah. you know, everybody go back for you know second, third helpings of peach cobbler. Growing up in the South, but it was so interesting to me. That was the one vice that was permissible and almost encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, your your blood sugar is like 300. You know, and it's like, yeah, it's like, is your body a temple of the living God or is it not? You know? Yeah. And what's so funny is, you know, you would find out that brother so-and-so smoked a cigarette and everybody would just flip, Your that body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, well, man. Yeah. How is that? How does that work? They go out and dance at the dance hall. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm trying not to be mean, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge a certain level of hypocrisy within the church mm-hmm. for refusing to... um even acknowledge the role that one could sin when it comes to these appetites of the flesh. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, like I said, it's probably one of the most un-American things we could do. And, and it's even looked at, I think by fellow Americans to fast and to go without food and without pleasure as, as like sinful, you know, and the right. and if you American religion, if you want to call it that, it's like, why would you ever do that? You know, don't mm-hmm. you, it's, don't you realize that we're supposed to enjoy what we have at our fingertips? And yeah. You're almost guilt-tripped out of it in a way. Yeah. Well, and I think the interesting part about it is um, Solomon wrote about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He talked about how he had so much at his fingertips, and yet it gave him no satisfaction. It was still it was vanity, all his vanity, right? Yeah. And I think there can become a point, especially around the holidays, where we can have so much food, and so much sweets and so much just good things that we're inundated and surrounded with that it loses its, it loses its significance, right? If it's always feasting the same, like every single day, right? There comes a point where you're just like, what's the, this isn't, this doesn't satisfy anymore, you know? Um, so it's almost like this, like you said earlier, I love that. The symmetry you see in the Bible is fasting and feasting. And you can appreciate the feasting for what it is when you've had seasons of fasting. And you can appreciate the fasting for what it is when you've had serious, uh, a season of feasting, right? Well, I tell people this on a regular basis. I think the Bible calls us more than anything as believers to live a life of balance. And people ask about the issue of alcohol or whatever. You know, live a life of balance, or food, or fasting, or feasting. It's like live a life of balance, um, live a life of self-control, of, of you know, of um, of gentleness, and and I think that's that's really where it's at. And I think you know, there we we should be extreme in our faith in the sense that we should never be ashamed of the gospel, and we should share the gospel with everyone that, where the doors are open. We should be radical in our faith that way, but we should be living a life of functionality and balance as well. Yeah, absolutely. We'll kind of land in the plane. Let's talk about how one should fast because it seems to be pretty easy. You just don't eat, right? But uh, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, he said, When you fast, again, not if, but when, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, again, not if, but when, Put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So from what Jesus told us as disciples when we fast is, number one, don't make it obvious. Right? Why would Jesus say don't make it obvious that you're fasting? 
I think we hate that because I think we're like, okay, if I'm going to deprive myself of food, at least for, for my sake, I'm like, I want to at least get recognition for it. <laughs> Do it for the gram, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm usually posting pictures of my breakfast, but this morning it's an empty plate in my Bible. It's an, it's an empty bowl, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think I think that's a motivational thing. I think he's saying, you know what, if you're willing to do this in secret and not get any credit for it, then I think your motivations have a have a higher likelihood of being in the right place. Hmm. Yeah, and Jesus says, don't do it like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others. He's saying basically, don't be showy, right? Which I just I don't know. I always laugh when I read that verse because I can't imagine someone like <laughs> disfiguring their face. To, I'm so hungry, you know, like. Oh wow, what's what's wrong with Tom over there? Well, he's fasting, right? <laughs> what happens if you have a resting, disfigured face? I, I don't know. You maybe just smile all the time. I don't, I don't I know. Guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So Jesus says, "Don't make it obvious. Don't be showy." And like you said, it's a it's a question of motivation. Like, who are you doing it for, right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, uh, "Don't make it obvious to others. Only to the Father who is unseen. The Father who sees in secret will reward you." So. Basically, when you fast, do it for the Lord. Yeah. Don't do it for other people. Don't do it for any other reason than for God. If you're doing it because you're being peer pressured to do it, if you do it because you want other people to think you're spiritual, if you're doing it, d- don't do it. Only do it so that you can please your Father who's going to see you. And the cool part about that verse is, in verse 18, he says, he will reward you. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He seems to take some of the biggest issues with people who do things to gain attention from other people. Like when you pray, don't pray like the the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the street corners and you know and in the synagogues so that people will see them. And he talks about how you should pray and go in your room and close the door behind you. It seems like it, you know he wants our our motivations to be where they should be when we're doing these acts of piety or these spiritual disciplines. Hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the cool things to realize about that is if you're doing it for the Lord, then you can be set free from any legalism that shows up, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So not everyone can fast the same way. When we've done fast together as a church, I've had some folks in our congregation that are diabetic. And so they can't fast the same way that other people would fast in terms of blood sugar and stuff like that. But the cool thing is if you're making your fast uh, for the right reasons and you're doing it for the Lord, you're doing it, so that God will reward you. You're doing it because you need him. You're doing it to abstain from things that, that um, can, can free you up to seek him. Then the Holy spirit is going to give you wisdom and guidance about what to cut out and what you might have the liberty to enjoy. Um, and so it's really not about, Hey, here's a legalistic way to do it. Everybody's going to do it this way. And if you step out of the boundaries, then, you know, God's going to strike you with lightning. It's, it's really this invitation to kind of step into a season of cutting out distractions, cutting out temptations, cutting out addictions, cutting out all these other things. So you can focus solely on being with the Lord and hearing from God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. So one of the things we do for our fast is we cut out all social media. My wife and I do, which I'm already off. So this year I'm not, I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but um, we do no meats, no sweets. And then we fast one meal a day or only eat one meal a day. So for the full 40 days, we'll have like 10 days, no meats, no sweets. 10 days, you either fast a meal or you uh, only eat one meal. And then we fast all secular media. So um, any movie, any TV show, any bit of music that is not Christian, um, we don't end up watching. Which is funny because... Then you start watching Christian movies and you're like, I think I just don't want to watch any movies for the next 40 yeah. days. <laughs> what is the meaning of life? Yeah, because yeah, you're like, oh, th- these are so corny. It makes me cringe. So I usually mm-hmm. just don't watch TV or watch movies. I usually just kind of just read. Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron is weeping right now. Kirk Cameron, who is listening right now, is like, I'm not going to watch Saving Christmas. Ah. Man. We could talk about, hey, did you ever see the movie Fireproof? You remember that movie? Christian movie Fireproof? I do remember it, but okay. um, I, I... Can I we just, break down some scenes in Fireproof for a minute? I don't, I, I don't think I've seen it. I'm proud to okay, say So there are a couple of <laughs> scenes that really bother me about the movie Fireproof. Are you ready? Yeah. First is Kirk Cameron's a firefighter. 
I know a lot of firefighters, maybe some of them listen to this podcast that call my church their church home. I don't think you would want to storm into a burning building with Kirk Cameron, by the mm. way. Just, mm. <laughs> just saying that. Wow. Because Kirk Cameron is a firefighter. There's a scene when he's in the gym angrily working out. Oh. And it is so blatantly obvious to anyone who has done just even the least bit of physical exercise that he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, yes. Like there's like a scene where he's like supposed to be mad at his wife and he's in the gym at the firehouse and he's like working out or whatever. And he's supposed to be doing like an upright cable row. Like dude doesn't even know what, like he's not even in the neighborhood, like so much bad form. <laughs> <laughs> and they're watching it with my wife and I'm like, this is like terrible. Was he, he's going to, he's going to pull his shoulder out of socket. Like he, Oh gosh. It was so bad. Yeah. I love that. that as, they're, as they're casting that movie, um, uh, Kirk Cameron's wife was like, I want you to be the firefighter. <laughs> of all the things, like of all the things he could be, right? Mm-hmm. A firefighter. No, no. He's he's the kid from uh, that TV show in the 80s. What was that TV show in the 80s he was on? I don't know. Is it Family Ties? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't know who was responsible for casting him as a firefighter, but um, I just want to say... Uh, bad choice. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. There I mean, are some good Christian movies out there. I know I'm talking mean about it. So, mm-hmm. really, I think so. Yeah, we saw a good one last year during our fast. Um, it was called Overcomer, and it was directed by the same people. And it was about a, um, it was about a guy that was a Christian that was coaching a, a girl running track. It was actually really good. So it, was, it had some cheesy moments, but it was pretty good. Okay. So yeah. I feel, like you're, I feel like you're judging me right now. <laughs> wow. Hey, so as we land the plane, is there like a absolute wrong way to fast? And if somebody's like listening to this and going, I think I want to start my year off to mm. fasting, it, would there be something that you would just discourage them from doing and just saying, hey, don't do it if if this is how you're going to approach it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Coupling it with your weight loss plan. Don't do that. Yes. Oh, it's so annoying. Yeah, why is that? Is it just because your motivation gets completely taken off, like yeah. the right thing? Yeah, because then it's a worship of self more than it is, you know, a, a, an act of desperation. Like I said earlier, it's selfish. Don't do that. Yeah, so you're really not emptying yourself to serve the Lord. You're really just basically using God to get what you want, and that's vanity and health. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to go on a diet, go on a diet. Don't mm-hmm. call it a fast. Yeah, yeah. Don't mix the two, um, and then also just being showy about it. I wouldn't, um, would don't brag about it. Don't don't make it a public thing. Now, obviously, there's times when people are like, "Hey, you want to come out to eat?" Or, you know, "Hey, I made you this meal. Can you come over and help me eat it?" And you just, you have to say, you know, "I'm sorry, I'm I'm fasting, but let's do a yeah. rain check." You know, but yeah, and don't make it weird, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Somebody asks you, you know, "Hey, like my first year, I did a fast when I was working as a high school teacher um, during my lunch break." I was sitting in my office reading my Bible instead of going to the lunchroom with the other teachers and eating. Mm-hmm. And after about two or three weeks, one of them walked down to my classroom and she goes, what is wrong with you? Why aren't you sitting with your department? What have we done? What have we <laughs> like, like she was like legitimately afraid that they had all offended me. Mm. And I just looked at her. I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't say anything. I, I'm going to come down. I'm going to sit with you guys. I was like, I, I just explained like we're doing a fast with our church and I've just been in my office like during our lunch hour, but I, I'm so sorry. I didn't tell you guys I'll, I'll be down there. And, and so I just sat with them and talked while they were eating lunch and it wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't weird about it. I didn't make it show, you know, they, they kind of all had to find out, Oh, that's why he's not mad at us. But I think like when I didn't make it weird, it was actually a pretty cool testimony to mm-hmm the people in the English department that were not believers. Cause they were like, well, tell mm. me about this. Like, why are you doing this? And it opened the door to kind of these really cool conversations mm. of kind of what this is about. And, and it's really cool for a non-believer to see a believer doing this. Cause they're like, so this is real to you. This isn't just like a, a box you check. This isn't like you, you legitimately are willing to do this because you believe these things. And it was really cool to kind of have those conversations. Mm. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, happy fasting to you. If you yeah. choose to do a fast at the beginning of 2020 or. Yeah. Start small, fast. start small, you know, take out a meal or take out something that, you know, just, and, and, and grow it from there. You know, I don't, you don't have to yeah. inflict the longest, most painful fast on yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually, uh, 
tuning in from my classroom because it's the only working Wi-Fi I can access right now. My <laughs> my my, um, my Wi-Fi went down a couple of days ago. And I was thinking, you know, Stacy left me and the two younger boys home alone, which is never a great idea. Oh man, she, she had to take Noah somewhere and took him. But anyways, um, the Wi-Fi goes out, and I'm like, that's so weird. So you know, day goes by and it's still out. And I'm thinking, oh man, so we had to I had to actually reschedule with you in yes. order to record this. And I called our internet provider and they're like, we have no idea. We'll send you a new router. They sent me a new router. Still, it doesn't work. Oh, and I'm no. pulling out, I'm pulling out of my driveway this morning to leave to go to my classroom, to, you know, to teach. And I look down and left in the front yard, there's a, a small, like kind of shallow hole and an axe laying next to it. And I get out <laughs> and I, oh my gosh. I, I walk up to this <laughs> hole in my front yard with an axe laying next to it. And in the hole, there is this thick orange telecommunications line that has been severed clearly severed by this axe yeah and i'm like oh no so i walk back inside I get out of the car walk back inside the house and by then the two younger boys had eaten and they're sitting there or had waken up and they're sitting there eating breakfast and and i got i said guys who was playing with an axe in the front yard <laughs> and stacy stops and she like looks at me for a second and she's like what and I was like, there's a someone chopped through the internet line with an axe. And then Eli, our middle child, he goes, Oh, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, He just owns and, it. Yeah. And of course, Stacy's like, Did this happen? Of course, when I was gone for that couple hours, I was gone. And I was like, Oh, man. Yeah. Why? My kids playing wow. with axe in the front yard, chopping internet lines. So I, I hope everybody listening to this understands what a labor of love this is. Mm-hmm. Not because it's really laborious for Gabe and I to hop on and talk with each other. We, we enjoy that so much. It is hiding from our kids or finding a, <laughs> a quiet yeah, place exactly. in this podcast or, you know, finding a place where you actually have internet because your kid hasn't chopped through it with an ax. So during this podcast, if you've heard random children crying, if you've heard the uh, alarm on the door, to our front door chime every time a kid comes in and out of the house. If you heard my dog outside the door to my home office whining, it's because I'm sequestered in my home office as Gabe mm-hmm. is sequestered in his classroom. And uh, yeah. But we did it, man. We we recorded we our 20th episode wow. Yeah, with, with an axe chopping through your Wi-Fi and all. So that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. I hope it's been encouraging and edifying to you. Absolutely. Happy 2021, everybody. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.